0: Welcome to the Citizen Hustle Podcast, your favorite podcast for health, performance, and all things self-improvement. i got to cut this intro in my car because there's no other way we can do it. And I want to release this amazing episode with Dr. Tyler Panzer, Monday morning. Today it's Saturday. In this episode, we talk about genetic profiling, personalized medicine, and a lot of great things. If you're lacking in your health and your genetics have not been looked at, you have to go check out Dr. Tyler Panzer. He is going to get you to the next level and this is the man to know in 2023. Thanks guys and Dr. Panzer, I cannot thank you enough for letting me, letting me interview you and uh, we'll get going. so I, I can't thank you enough Dr. Tyler Panzer for coming on my podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me man. you know you shot me a message you like a genuine guy you're just happy to have another platform to share what I think is going to totally revolutionize not just holistic health optimization, but I think the medical sector. As well. So
0: you're all about personalized health and maybe you'll agree with this. I think we're at a crisis point right now with our own metabolic health. And if people don't take responsibility for their own health, which what you're preaching, I think we're headed toward disaster. So how did you get interested Absolutely. in all this personal health?
1: Yeah. So I did my PhD in, th- cellular molecular pharmacology. So different from pharmacy. Pharmacy is more so taking the information about drugs we already know and applying that. So this drug needs this dose, don't mix with these things. Pharmacology is the guy in the lab coat doing the research, identifying new things, all about creative thinking and innovation. And um, I studied neuropharmacology. I always love how Supplements drugs whatever it just affects your mood cognition consciousness. I made my own pre-workouts when I was growing up I'm big into fitness and just you know certain pre-workouts feel better than others and it's due to these different ingredients that modify your neurochemistry in certain ways and I um, Studied the brain neuroscience the first half of my PhD then I went to breast cancer research inflammation and I 23 me started becoming a thing and I I I figured I I went and got it done, and it was some of the reports were like more likely to think cilantro tastes like soap. Your pee will smell like asparagus, and I'm just like, there's got to be more useful information in there. Then th- this is very very early 23 in me, and it's like it's what's really in there. So I looked at the raw data and kind of uh, midway through my PhD was kind of looking into that, and I always suffered from really bad brain fog and anxiety throughout my life. And turns out the gene that breaks down adrenaline doesn't work for me as well it's mutated double mutation so i break down adrenaline and dopamine four times slower than a normal person that explains why i'm very go 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 type a but i'm also very prone to stress anything that raises my adrenaline can be very sensitive to that um i found out my brain fog i break down histamine slow people think of histamine as just allergies coughing sneezing Histamine is the most overlooked aspect of people's poor health. High histamine in the brain is linked to anxiety, depression, brain fog, ADHD. The skin, hives, psoriasis, eczema, the gut, IBS, Crohn's, any, any inflammatory disease has some link to histamine. I was able to figure out with those two things, those mutations, how can I support that mutated protein And I was able to really, really resolve, I'll always be a guy prone to stress, you know, I'm never gonna be a Buddhist monk, but I was able to really resolve my chronic health issues. And I'm fortunate it wasn't like generalized anxiety disorder, like it wasn't like clinical grade, but I realized I was able to fix my issues just by natural things. And how many people are being put on pharmaceuticals for this when it might just be a micronutrient deficiency. So that was the big aha moment for me. And I guess the birth of what I'm calling now, holistic genetic health optimization, that was probably five or so years ago. And I was doing my own. It's crazy how far I've got like this, all this crude workflow of like control effing, the raw data, just for friends and family, or not as a business. But over the next couple of years, couple of people here and there, everyone has that friend of a friend that's just super depressed. And I would try to work with them and identify some of these things. Um, and that's what really got me interested in the personalized medicine aspect of it. And I'm calling what I do now hyper-personalized, because I also figure out what supplements don't agree with your body. And I see that is a huge, monumental issue. Most people that come to me taking supplements are taking something that's making their anxiety worse, making their gut health worse. And it's not because it doesn't do good things. That other thing it does may not match well with your genetics. So that was kind of the genesis then. And haven't looked back since
0: how are you finding out what supplements aren't good for people
1: based on the genetics so um a good example i like to give is berberine berberine is a supplement that everyone talks about for blood sugar regulation it also helps lower ldl cholesterol which are both great things and it does do that very very effectively however it also blocks the enzyme that breaks down adrenaline so if you take that It'll help your blood sugar, it'll help your LDL, it'll also raise adrenaline. Now imagine someone like me that breaks down adrenaline four times slower than a normal person. I'm gonna, my my adrenaline's already high. I'm gonna feel that. First time I took berberine in the morning, I was like, I felt great because I had, it also elevates serotonin and dopamine. So I thought I was like high on something almost. I was just, this day is awesome. I took another one at lunch and then it was just panic all day couldn't sleep all night and it was just really overwhelming my body with adrenaline and that's just one of so many different herbs and supplements that they do one good thing they also raise adrenaline now here's the thing if someone has low adrenaline low neurotransmitters that may be the perfect thing for them but if you don't need more of that then that could be bad for you um, and this is where my education in pharmacology comes into play that any one supplement does several things, there's no drug or molecule on the face of the earth that only does one thing. They just market it for one thing. So like that berberine, they never market it as, raise your adrenaline. It's always lower LDL cholesterol, regulate blood sugar. Um, So um, yeah, looking at the genetic aspect. Another one is curcumin i like to give an example of. That also can raise adrenaline. It also chelates iron out of the body. I've had women come to me, hair falling out, super anemic. They're on IV infusions. All these practitioners don't know what's going on. And I look, you're on this crazy high dose curcumin for your brain fog and your gut health. You're you're getting all this iron into your body and immediately pulling it out with all the curcumin you're taking. And all these other doctors, holistic practitioners that put them on that, they're not aware of that. Why aren't they aware of that? Not malicious at all they don't have a PhD in pharmacology because a curcumin bottle, you'll never ever, it's always brain inflammation, gut health, joint health. You'll never see it advertised as lower your iron. You see what I'm saying there by understanding, and again, for people that have high iron genetically, that could be perfect for them. So one person, and that's why it bothers me, I don't do a lot of general recommendations for like affiliate marketing because I don't wanna, Something like a magnesium I'll promote because that's pretty much universally good. But a lot of people are taking things because someone flexing their bicep is saying, hey, go ahead and take this. It's great. Or their friends say to take it. They took it. They feel horrible. They may not connect the dots. They just think, I'm anxious. I don't know why. They'll never think it's that blood sugar supplement.
0: Without genetic testing, how do they know?
1: That's the thing. You need to be very, very self-aware of that. Um, I think a lot of people kind of just underestimate how powerful supplements can be and they kind of just i don't say take supplements just to take them but they take them and then that's it there's no mindfulness of how do i feel 10 minutes after taking that one hour after taking that five hours after taking that um i always encourage people when they're starting out new things keep a diary doesn't have to be crazy in depth but just say like i felt good today i felt more stressed and then the next day I didn't sleep good. And if you see you started this new, again, blood sugar supplement and your sleep starts going to shit, well, maybe it's that. Or of course, though the problem is too, we, always, we all live such stressful lives too. So it's also the environment as well. Like if you're in a shitty work environment, you're gonna be more stressed by default. So it is difficult for people that aren't trained in this to be able to perceive these things. But that's also why Um, right now I just do one-on-ones with people, but I really wanna do supplement education courses, big supplement no-no's, because so many people are messing themselves up more, taking the wrong supplements or just taking too many. Can
0: you give us a big supplement no-no?
1: I mean, supplement no-no, I guess with those two kind of, I mentioned there, um, but even some things that uh, like, Like I mentioned before, that berberine or some other things that do it are um, resveratrol. Everyone talks about that for anti-aging. That also raises adrenaline. If you're taking something like an Adderall that raises adrenaline and you take that, you can do some damage. That is an immense amount of stress hormones flooding your body. Um, I mean, that being said, I work work to get people off these medications. I think at least 90% of people on depression, anxiety medications, or ADHD have no reason being on them. These doctors, they show up and say, hey, Billy can't focus. Okay, take an Adderall. Well, did you even check if his dopamine was low? No, you just wrote the script. What if he has brain fog because he's eating the wrong foods? Same thing with depression. Oh, I'm depressed, here, take a Zoloft. See you in six weeks. How do you know serotonin is even the issue? Yeah. They're blindly throwing darts at the dartboard, but I can look at the genetics and say, okay, you produce too much glutamate which can lead to anxiety, neuroticism, OCD. You also don't produce, promote, uh, produce as much serotonin, but there's so many supplements that can help you make serotonin instead of going on a pharmaceutical medication. And I just tell people, I think it makes sense just to try this first. Give your cells what they need more of, what, whatever nutrients they need more of, give them that based on your cellular DNA, and then remove things they don't like, and start there as a baseline. It's easier said than done, you know, from my point of view, like it's like, oh yeah, piece of cake, yeah. do that. But I think it's just a great starting point for people because I like genetics too. Obviously I'm biased here, but you always get information. Everyone has these mutations. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that doesn't have mutations that supplements could help improve upon. Now, does that mean that everyone's miserable? Everyone needs all this stuff to function? No, of course not. But with the toxic world we live in, It's an uphill battle. You know, there's just so much toxins everywhere. We, we, We burn through so many more micronutrients fighting off the pesticides we inhale or the seed oils or this or the microplastics, all these things. I think everyone should be on at least somewhat of a basic supplement stack because desperate times, meaning our toxic world, stressful world, call for desperate measures, meaning I don't know, maybe four or five targeted supplements for you. I was just
0: going to bring that up. We're in an obesogenic environment. Everything's toxic. Yep. Everyone's stressed. Social media is killing all of us. So you're kind of under the understanding that even with a perfect diet, you still need to supplement on top of that?
1: Absolutely. Okay. I the So it depends which things for which individual. I have mutations in the gut transporter for B12, which means that little protein that absorbs B12, from food through my gut doesn't work as well. In addition, once you absorb it through your gut, another protein will transport it through your blood and deliver it to your cells. That doesn't work as well for me. So I eat a lot of meat, red meat, high in B12, and I'll be deficient in B12 unless I supplement. And that's just how it's gonna be because it's an uphill battle for me. Um, So yeah, you're absolutely right. You could be eating the perfect diet by normal standards, clean foods, and still be deficient in things. Or on top of that, certain healthy foods can cause issues for you. I mentioned histamine uh, I mentioned histamine earlier. A lot of foods are high in histamine. I noticed apple cider vinegar was giving me insane brain fog. It took me a while to connect the dots. Everyone says apple cider vinegar, good for blood sugar, good for gut health, which it, it is. It's also very high in histamine, which I break down slow. Coffee, vinegar, pickles, all very high in histamine. I noticed after learning myself, they give me brain fog. I've also seen that same brain fog can turn into anxiety sometimes and high histamine is linked to joint pain. So is there a study showing that tomato ingestion can increase joint pain? No, but thinking intuitively here, and this is how my brain works, anything that boosts up histamine could possibly make joint pain worse. So even though there's no study to show that, if someone, big Italian family has tomatoes all the time, brain fog, joint pain, and they have these mutations for slow histamine breakdown, I'll tell them, hey, I know it sucks, but cut back on the tomato sauce or supplement when you take the tomato sauce, when you have tomato sauce, so your body can break it down better. So it's not just being deficient in nutrients, other very healthy foods, like tomatoes are very healthy, but the histamine bothers me. So it kind of goes both sides of the coin. So is
0: coffee high in histamine or is it the roasting process that...
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're actually totally right with that. It's more so the roasting process that does okay. do that. So me personally, what I do now is I'm, I remember what last year for probably three months, I actually had half of a rain energy drink every morning because that was natural caffeine, not the synthetic caffeine and hydrus and then B vitamins. There wasn't any other things that could stimulate, overstimulate me. I felt so good on that because there's no histamine, there's no coffee. Now, I did it for two, three months. I'm like, okay, I feel so great every day, but I should probably pivot to something else. That's not a long-term solution. But the reason why I switched from that wasn't because it's an energy drink. It's because of the plastic lining inside of the Okay. Of the pan. So I didn't want to have that, those plastics all the time. Um, I now do um, instant espresso. I'll have some of that and dilute it a lot. Like this big, this big cup I have right here, I'll dilute a little bit of espresso in this full thing, cold water and I'll have that in the morning with my smoothie. Um, That has much, 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 much less histamine. Um, So I can tolerate that a lot better. So there is some, there is histamine in coffee period, espresso period, in the beans, but the roasting process is what really, really increases those amounts. So it sounds like for
0: you, the histamines in the coffee, your poor breakdown of adrenaline and dopamine, coffee probably gives you a bunch of anxiety.
1: So yeah, I'm definitely sensitive to it. Um, I do like caffeine, but nowadays I have maybe maybe 200 milligrams first thing in the morning before with my smoothie, then I go to the gym um, you know before I was giving myself the right I think a lot of people that say I have five cups of coffee a day, you're clearly lacking micronutrients. You're masking that with the caffeine. and also, I think the high histamine in your brain is making you, I don't, know, have you ever seen the meme? It's like when, when you have caffeine and it doesn't wake you up, it just raises your yep. heart rate. That to me is spiked histamine in the brain. So it raises your heart rate, but you have brain fog. So you don't feel clear headed. If you have coffee and you feel that way, take an ibuprofen. I bet you're going to feel so much clear headed and energized because you're stopping the inflammation from the histamine. Um, yeah. Wow. So, histamine's a big deal.
0: What are other big, maybe they called anti nutrients, you're finding in people's diets that they have to supplement for?
1: Yeah. So, I wouldn't necessarily call it an anti nutrient because we do need some of okay. that. But um, another one I see pretty frequently messing people up is ammonia. So, ammonia is that weird smelling stuff that people use like cleaning products and stuff, it's a bona fide neurotoxin. And There can be genetic mutations that make your body produce higher amounts of ammonia.
0: And what do you feel if you have higher amounts of ammonia?
1: Some of those symptoms are confusion, agitation, irritability, um, brain fog, lethargy, um, even coma in severe cases can be deadly and severe. I'm not saying that's commonplace, but severe cases can be, can be the case. And if honestly, if your urine or sweat smells like ammonia, so Blood urea nitrogen, bun, on blood work, that measures how much nitrogen is in your blood. Ammonia is very high in nitrogen. So usually if the bun is high, a lot of doctors will say drink more water. But I'm finding in my practice a lot of the time, those people have genetic mutations that make their body produce higher amounts of ammonia. Meat is very high in nitrogen. So if people have these mutations and eat a lot of meat, they can have higher amounts of ammonia. Gut dysbiosis can also produce ammonia. If you don't digest food properly, that'll ferment in your gut. A lot of acid reflux and GERD isn't from too little stomach acid. I mean, isn't from too much. They give you a proton pump inhibitor to lower stomach acid. In reality, I think, and I've I've seen this with clients, it's too little stomach acid, which means you eat this food. It doesn't get digested. It'll ferment in your gut and produce ammonia gas. That ammonia gas will push the food up your esophagus and cause the heartburn. But what do they do? They stop even more of your stomach acid secretion. So the exact opposite of what you should be doing. So all these contributors can raise the ammonia levels there. Um, Now the answer, in my opinion, is not get rid of the meat. I think high quality meat should be a staple of pretty much everyone's diets. Now, is there a time and place to maybe cut back on meat for certain periods of time? Sure, but long-term, I do think we evolved to eat meat, without a doubt. Very nutritious. L-ornithine is an amino acid your liver uses to help break down ammonia. So people can keep eating their meat. You give them that, and literally within a day or two, they can feel immensely better. Because now, just like, boom, just like that, they're breaking down that ammonia finally. Um, So ammonia is another one for sure. So I have a
0: large following that eat the carnivore diet. And they're gonna yeah. be dying to know what's your thoughts on that because you're pro meat. It sounds like,
1: yeah, I'm definitely pro meat. And here's the thing: carnivore, pro metabolic keto, all of these things. Like Paul Saladino, carnivore MD. I don't like the app. His overall message is great. Meat is great. Organs are great. Limit gut irritants. However, there are genetic mutations that make you more sensitive to oxalates or lectins plants have so many beneficial phytonutrients that have so many bioactive compounds that are beneficial to human health. If you don't have mutations that lead to oxalate toxicity that make it, if, if you could break down oxalates fine, why would you avoid those plants? So here's the thing though, there are some people and if kidney stones run in your family, that means you probably have an oxalate issue because they form kidney stones. If kidney stones run in your family, I would avoid oxalates. So I'm not anti-carnivore, I'm not pro-carnivore, I'm not anti-keto, I'm not pro-keto. Everyone has their own unique diet that makes the most sense for them. Microbiome plays a role, yes, but genetics play a role in what gut microbes inhabit your gut. And ultimately, your cells are what detoxify or break down these oxalates. So, I think a balanced diet works the majority of the time for the majority of people. Um, So... So it is true, you can cause leaky gut from the from the oxalates, but if you don't have that sensitivity, you may get a net benefit from adding some of those greens because higher fiber consumption is linked to a lot of better health outcomes. So if you feel good doing what you're doing, great. I also think like the LDL thing, how that spikes on carnivore, I don't think high LDL is nearly as much of a huge concern. I agree with Paul on that. Um, I think things like ApoB are a much better blood marker for overall, um, risk from cholesterol. But um, yeah, I think that gets overly demonized. But yeah, there's no one set diet for one individual. And it just bothers me when people act like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing everyone could do for their health. And it's like, that's just not the case. And that's what I'm here for to really, honestly, take on all these people. I'm not trying to confront anybody, but just add this level of nuance and complexity to say, you don't need to restrict all these foods because you don't have these mutations, and of course, as I mentioned, microbiome plays a, plays a big role as well. So I never want to be that guy saying genetics are everything, genetics are the end all, be all. It's just one piece of health, but I think it's the piece of health that no one's looking at nearly as much. How many people are nutritionists or mold experts or parasite experts? You know, a lot of focus is on that, but the holistic route for this genetic stuff, no one's doing. It's an unturned stone it's unleash potential to optimize your health. And my goal is that piece of the pie, that's genetics, leave no stone unturned, take that out of the equation. Optimize as much as I can from there. Some people tell me they're cured within a week, their words, not mine. Other people, after a month or two, they're like 20, 30% better. And you know what? They're grateful for that 20, 30%. That means there may be a mold issue or something else that's out of my wheelhouse. But it's a great starting point because they were failed by so many doctors before that. I'm
0: sure when people come to you, you're maybe like third or fourth in line. Oh, usually L- way less, way, way okay. less that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm usually end of the line for a lot of people. And um, and it's interesting because a lot of my clients, let's just say a genetic mutation is sh- 20% of the population has it. I'll see it in 75% of my clients. Which is interesting, but I think that's because if you're seeking out someone like me, you've tried everything else. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? I think it's because it's mostly a genetic issue. Then, so I think I'm also artificially selecting for people with worse genetics. That oh makes yeah, sense. they're
0: self-selecting out. By the time they get to you, yeah. other people have failed them so many times. Not failed, but couldn't cure them. Then that. Yeah. Well, I honestly yeah. fail a lot
1: of the time. You know, and and it's crazy too that not only did they not get better, but they put them on stuff that's making them worse. And they think they're detoxing for nine months. And that's why, like, no, you're not anxious because you're detoxing for nine months. You're anxious because you're taking the wrong herb for your gut that spikes your adrenaline. So that's never gonna go away. Yeah,
0: I run a very holistic dental practice. So a lot of my patients are on like a thousand supplements. I'm being sarcastic, but all these herbalists will give them 10 supplements. And then, like you said previously, they have no idea which one's helping and which one's not. When people yeah, come to you, do yeah. you take them off everything and add it one at a time?
1: So it depends what they're taking. Um, usually I replace a lot of it. I like to call, I do like, a, I do like an audit on like their uh, their supplement list. Um, as of right now, um, usually I have them start, because I'm picking the supplements that can all work in tandem together. So usually mo- the vast majority of the time, starting all the supplements together at once, usually remove most of the ones they're taking, if not all of them, starting them all together. Sometimes people feel a little weird, so then I might break it in half for them. But that's also why I'm planning on launching um, more hands-on, like 90-day coaching programs, where then we have the time to do less at a time over time. But I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about your uh, the holistic dental practice. Is that what like the biological dentist? Yeah, so biological
0: dentistry and biomimetic dentistry, and they're just like fancy words for a minimally invasive dentistry. And I take a nutritional approach towards my patients too.
1: Interesting, like what are some of the main modalities or differences that you do versus um traditional? I, I've heard biological dentists yeah. all the time, so I never really know exactly what that is. So, I'm talking, yeah. The well, guy. the
0: problem is, and then I'm gonna get slammed for this, there's so many sham holistic dentists out there.
1: Um, I'm oh, well, hey, there, there's a lot of sham <laughs> holistic, everything, yeah. Too. There's a lot of great ones, but yeah, that's that's yeah. Sector.
0: Um, I don't take insurance, and I know you don't take insurance.
1: Um, yeah I, wish I could that's the one limiting factor of really changing the world but you got to But gotta i do. think
0: because you're not constrained by insurance companies or constrained by like you have to charge a certain amount you have more time with each of your patients so i have more yes. time yeah so i talk about insulin resistance metabolic syndrome gum disease go over all the nutrition their supplements too i just sit down oh, with awesome. them yeah so it's much easier than kind of like drill bill fill and get them out of there Drill drill, yeah.
1: I love that. I love that. Now, do you ever remove mercury fillings? I do. Like, do, is that one of the things you do? And then like, what do you normally replace that uh, with? Composite
0: resin. But I have to say this, if I remove mercury, I'm not curing any disease. Because people will come to dentists to remove mercury thinking it's causing their MS or causing their fibromyalgia. And I cannot say that taking the mercury out is going to make them healthier.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's one of those things too. It's all about the wording because you look heavy metal mercury toxicity is linked to both of those cancer, all, all these different things. And it's one of those things. It's, again, they don't have a study showing people with mercury failings that have Alzheimer's, you remove it, you've, you're not going to cure that, you know, but like, th- again, thinking intuitively reading between the lines, I don't think it's a, a jump of logic to say that people that are having heavy metal issues, mercury issues, removing the filling should help remove the root source. Now, removing that won't let your cells detoxify what's already in the cells, but at least it can remove one of the major potential sources. In my opinion, I think that the the mercury fillings and then the seafood are two of the high risks for that. And now imagine if on top of that, you can have mutations in specific genes that detoxify specifically mercury. Not arsenic, but mercury. So imagine if you have a higher risk which means you retain higher amounts of mercury and then you have these fillings. I like to call, it's like you're building a Lego set, all these individual pieces together. Like you have the mercury filling, you eat seafood, and you have this mutation, you know? And it's kind of like, it makes sense, you know? But um, yeah, it's really interesting. And now how is this, um, how long have you been practicing? Is this like a newer thing? Did you do regular dentistry Yeah, I've been this? out
0: 10 years, this way about two years, maybe three years. Okay. It's so interesting you said that though, because. I've seen so many patients where I'll take the fillings out and then like their symptoms will resolve. And I'm thinking like, maybe that was placebo, but if they can't detoxify mercury and they're eating sardines three times a day, that could be part of the deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of other different mutations that indirectly affect that. And it's like a whole network I see of all these different things that are connected. And again, none of this, I'm way ahead of where the science is at. So it's just connecting these dots, you know? So, but I love, I love being all holistic, all natural because I can be more, I don't want to say risky is not the word. I could be more exploratory because all I'm doing, every single thing I recommend to clients, they could go buy on their own without my recommendation. It's all over the counter. So like I can have this. I can read this, these papers, stay up late one night and have this new theory about something, about this supplement that no one's ever used for this ever. And I could try it with someone because most of these people I work with, they're like, I don't give a fuck, give me anything. Like, I'm I'm so, like, I trust yeah. you. And then at least 90% of the time it ends up working out, but always sometimes, no, not always, uh, sometimes there's the gene say it should agree and it doesn't. Now, I think part of that's because as much as we know about genetics, there's so much more we don't know about it yet. So remember I mentioned before, you can have one mutation that makes the supplement work and two that don't make it work. What if those two that make it not work for you, we don't have any, we don't know what they do yet. You know, we don't even know about that yet. Cause I'm just using the current available data we have now. Like I have information, the platform I use 100 million genetic mutations. I would say at least 90% of that, we have no idea what the fuck any of them do. We know what the, the mutation is, where it is, what gene it is. We have no idea if it actually affects the gene, if it actually affects the protein, if it makes it work too slow or too fast. So that's why I'm also just so excited to be in this space now. It's only going to get better and cooler and more advanced, especially with the AI now. Eventually I'll have to get a new job or do something else because eventually I'm probably going to be training an AI to do what I do. You I'm know Next,
0: what I mean? um, how is AI taking your job or I know nothing about artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah. So honestly, I'm not, I'm learning more about it, but the platform I use self-decode is the platform I use to run my practice. It's like 23andMe, but on steroids times a thousand. So you could take your 23andMe data or ancestor DNA data, or you could get sequenced by them, but it's the sequencing. Isn't like the, the bread and butter, but I actually uploaded my 23andMe data to there. I think 23andMe does like 47,000 genetic variants their AI imputes 100 million out of that because the AI knows mutations occur in certain blocks. So even though they didn't sequence a certain mutation initially, based on the location on the DNA, they can infer that that indeed happened. It's 99, 99.7 or 99.97% uh, accurate. And then on top of that, like their anxiety risk score it'll say what percentile you in for anxiety risk. I think I'm 94th percentile, which makes a lot of sense, as I mentioned. <laughs> but I mentioned that one mutation that I found initially, that's just one mutation. Their anxiety risk report takes 382,000 individual mutations into account. The AI sorts it out, you know, is this more important than this one, you know, and ranks the priority and gives you an overall risk score. So it's way more accurate. A lot of genetic companies now, they'll just give you a list of individual mutations and not taking into account how they interact. It's called polygenic risk scoring. Poly meaning multiple, gen meaning genetic. So multiple gene risk scoring. And that's why I'll see a, a report that says based on these, you know, 300,000 mutations, you likely have lower ferritin levels or you likely have higher liver enzymes. And then most of the time, vast majority of the time I talk to clients, I mention this, they're like, oh yeah, my liver enzymes have been high my entire life. Even as a kid, I never did drugs. I never did anything to raise them. It I, It is what it is. And it's just crazy to me to see how tightly that correlates. It matches up so often. And that's because they're taking hundreds, even sometimes over a million genes into account. That makes it much more rigorous, the analysis, much more reliable than just, one mutation. So does this
0: artificial intelligence, where does it pull all this knowledge from to make that guidance for them that they're high anxiety or that decision?
1: Yeah. So I think it's taking, I'm honestly not, I'm more of the front end biology concept okay. guy. So like, I'm not the back end bioinformatics side, like the math, I'm definitely not a huge math guy. Um, but I think they're taking different mutations based on studies based on the statistics. So this mutation from this study, had this difference in anxiety scores. So that one's more important than this one. You could also have a mutation, like you could have one mutation that makes a gene work faster and another one that makes it work slower. How do you know if they cancel out or not? How do you know which one weighs more than the other? So there's a, they're assigning like significant weights to different genes to get the overall net risk in a nutshell. But honestly, anything more than that on the math side, sure. i guy. So that.
0: you're a 94 percentile of anxiety. Yeah. Um, are you much lower anxiety now from taking supplements?
1: Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, there's also, I'm also a deeply spiritual guy, you know, like it's, it's, it's not just this, you know, like you also need to learn yourself and be mindful and figure out why am I anxious? Is there emotions? Do I have, do I want to tell someone I love something really bad and I can't cause I'm afraid, you know, like those types of things cause anxiety as well. So people take me for one clip and are like, all you want to do is push pills. I'm like, no, again, I'm just looking at wide genetic slice of health and focusing on that. But um, yeah, like stress lowers magnesium. Magnesium prevents anxiety. A lot of data on that. I also have mutations where I don't absorb as much magnesium. So magnesium was monumental in helping my stress levels overall. I also take CBD every day. Um, I have genetic mutations that make that make a lot of sense for me. So I take these things each day, usually in the evening to unwind because I'm a very type A, go, go, go. I'll, I'm a night owl. I'll never be ready to go to bed. Like I need to take these supplements at the end of the workday to just calm down. Not that I'm miserable, anxious all day. Of course we have our days, bad days, but, um, it's more so for me now to just get out of work mode and just, you know, the rest mode, you can't just be go, go, go all the time. So I take these things to help unwind, to prepare for sleep. Um, But yeah, I I still get triggered. You know, at the end of the day, my stress threshold will always be lower than a lot of people's. But that being said, instead of spiraling for an entire day, it'll be, you know, a bad 20 minutes.
0: So what triggers your stress? I would
1: say different for everybody. You know what I mean? Um, Definitely a loaded question. You know, it just depends on, people people that you don't like being around being around them i think it's kind of general for most people you know stress sure. at work i mean luckily for me i got a lot of stress during my phd because it was really figure it out on your own figure out how to dissect these mice do all this and just keep failing until you figure it out my boss was very very demanding helping a lot of ways but very very pushy and demanding and partially she knew i could handle it you know but at the end of the day it's a lot of stress i want to graduate i've been I've been in this program for six years. If I don't get this data to work properly, if I can't get these cells to do what I want them to do, I can't graduate. So those types of things cause a lot of stress. You get more stress, you're gonna be screening minerals, including magnesium. So you're just drinking plain water, you're not getting enough magnesium in, um, on top of that genetic mutation. That's why I responded so well to that magnesium.
0: Okay, because I also have low stress tolerance and very anxious person. I th- we're similar. I think I'm maybe 10 years older than you, but I think a lot of men our age have stress about future failure or not building something that they think they can achieve. And there's so much social media like you have a bunch of followers, but there's people who have 10 times what you have. And then that would give maybe someone like you anxiety that you're not at their level yet. So I, t- I totally yeah. understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah, but I do think, too. I think anxiety correlates with personality traits, meaning people that put themselves out there usually have higher levels of dopamine and dopamine and adrenaline are broken down by the same pathways. Okay. So what I mean is the reason why we're both on this podcast right now and on Instagram promoting ourselves is the same reason why we're prone to anxiety. Okay. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Cause it's like, it's a double-edged sword because like, I bet probably you're probably normally a very energetic excitable guy I am too but when we get stressed we really fizzle out like that can oh, really yeah. like you shut you because, shut down again, when
0: you get stressed you get real cool
1: oh yeah no. again oh yeah that the, the I would I I'm very curious I'm very confident you have that same mutation I do for slower adrenaline breakdown honestly the vast majority of my clients do this is not a one yeah. thing like literally I would say 80, 90% of my clients have this mutation. But now again, thinking about the reason why, if you have higher dopamine, higher adrenaline, you're more prone to anxiety. You're more prone to be thinking about your health and overthinking things. So you're more likely to be seeking out all this help to try and feel better. So you see how the behavior dictates the types of people that end up coming to work with me. Um, A lot of people, Then you'll see a lot of people that have similar mutations as me, possibly us, and they break down dopamine and adrenaline slow, but they're exhausted all the time. But looking at the genetics, they should be very high energy people. But then we dig deeper. The histamine is robbing them of their energy. The ammonia is robbing them of their energy. Maybe a B vitamin deficiency. So it's like, instead of being put on an Adderall to get more energy, give yourselves what they need to make their own energy and remove the things that are robbing you of your energy.
0: Are a lot of your clients similar to your personality that can come- reach out to you?
1: Uh I would say a good bit are and it's interesting like the second we go hop on a discovery call or the first consult like when we're chatting, um, I can pretty much tell it's funny I can hypothesize what the mutations are just by talking to them, and then on the reverse side, it's like, I joke about this, but I'm kind of serious, but overall joking, I almost don't need questionnaires anymore about what you're suffering from. Cause I can look at the genes now and say, wow, this person probably has really bad allergies and brain fog. This person's very anxious. This person can't sleep. Like I can kind of see that just by looking at the genetic side of that. Um, but the people with the same mutation I have that are more prone to anxiety, it's usually a much, not that I don't enjoy calls with other people, but it's usually a more enjoyable call because they're more outgoing. It's more like a, you know, we're laughing, busting jokes, you know, like like, like kind of like us, you know, we're two high energy guys having a good conversation yeah. instead of the people, the people with low neurotransmitters, low dopamine, low adrenaline, they're much more quiet and timid. And, you know, not that it's not enjoyable, but, you know, it's more so just me lecturing them versus like a fluid conversation. Because again, going back to, the reason why we're on this podcast is because we have higher dopamine. The reason why you even wanted to switch to holistic dentistry, probably because you have higher dopamine. You're interested in these types of things. You're curious. There's actually also this gene called the Wanderlust gene. I, I want to post about this. Um, in the dopamine four receptor, this is involved with exploring, um, not doing the status quo and doing something different. And evolutionary biologists believe that this mutation occurred around the same time that so our ancestors originated from Africa, then went to Europe, and then they went over that land bridge in between, I think, like Russia and Alaska, not Alaska, whatever that land bridge was with North America, connecting it to Europe or, or Asia. They believe this mutation occurred then, and the individuals that passed on this mutation they were more likely to say, hey, I'm going to go explore that way. And that's what led to us expanding across the globe. Um, if you like to travel a lot, if you like to try a lot of new novel things, um, I have the Wanderlust gene. Maybe you do as well because you saw this biological dentistry and you're like, this makes a lot of sense. I'm curious about this. I'm going to go explore it more. You liked what you read and here you are now.
0: For sure. I had that gene and for sure you do too. Um, I don't think somebody who gets a PhD in pharmacology and then branches into entrepreneurship in this does not have that gene. Yeah. So are there any side effects to high dopamine?
1: Definitely. I mean, the anxiety, absolutely one of them. Um, I'm trying to think other things from high, having like extremely high dopamine, like can cause like DNA damage in cells, but that's more so if you're like, like, if I was taking high-dose Adderall every day, that's what we're talking about, you know? But for a regular person, which is passively high uh, dopamine, um, I would think would mean mainly be anxiety and sleep. Um, possibly maybe being a little overly cocky, you know, maybe maybe some arrogance, you know, that grandiose, you know, feeling like you're the shit, sure. um, like, you know, pe- people do cocaine, they raise their dopamine, they won't shut the yeah. fuck up, you know what I mean? So maybe like that guy that just bothers you because he just won't stop talking about himself. Um, but again, that's not just a dopamine thing. You know, there's a lot more, a lot more goes into personality than just one gene, but that COMT gene, that's the dopamine gene we, I keep mentioning, that does have a huge effect on personality but it's not the only one on
0: personality. I wonder if narcissists have high dopamine.
1: Narcissists actually, so possibly, but one gene mutation that's highly associated with not only narcissism, sociopathy, also serial killers. You ever hear of oxytocin before? So oxytocin is like the love and cuddly hormone or neurotransmitter, kind of like serotonin. Serotonin is more long-term contentment Oxytocin is the love and cuddly empathy. Much more for empathy, like after you have sex, that love, cuddly, you know, butterflies in your stomach feeling. You can have mutations in the receptor. So things bind receptors on cells. That's what makes cells act a certain way. That oxytocin receptor can be mutated and not be as sensitive. So if you lack oxytocin signaling, your levels might be fine, but the binding of how much your cells sense that, the sensitivity, can be greatly reduced um that can be um very very problematic and there are studies showing if you think about it narcissism sociopaths psychopaths serial killers they don't give a fuck about it yeah that's how they are cold and have no remorse and don't give a shit um i some people that i've worked with not always and th- that mutation is somewhat common Now, I've met people that have double mutation there that are absolute narcissists, like people that I've known personally that are narcissists. Um, I've also worked with people that, you know, I don't know personally, they don't seem like a narcissist, but I also wouldn't know at first exposure. That does not mean that if you have that, you are a narcissist. I also have close friends that had that mutation that are some of my best friends that aren't narcissists. So I think it's a combination of your upbringing. If you had a narcissistic parent that has that mutation, you know, the trauma on top of that, um, heavy metals, inflammation, a lot of the same stuff that contributes to like cancer or Alzheimer's, you know, all different diseases have a lot of the same underpinnings. You could connect a lot of these type of toxins to that, um, as well. But yeah, I would think high dopamine, high dopamine with low oxytocin definitely spells. Narcissism. Oh, for
0: sure. I've met one cold-blooded narcissist in my life and it's like bone chilling to talk that he was actually he was a business partner but um it's awful i'm he has to have these mutations because everything you're describing is exactly how he was
1: yeah i mean the the few that i've come across to know were actually very very good at hiding it oh yeah because i'm one i'm one of those people that if I like you, I give, give, give. You know, I I, I, I I, like to try to help people, heal people, all these types. I give, 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 give. And that's exactly what a narcissist wants. They want that fuel to be able to keep ingesting it and keep you going, telling you exactly what you wanna hear, even though that's not really them. And looking back now, I was like, holy shit, those crazy moments that we had were really them just molding to what I wanted to hear and guessing me to death. When in reality, they just needed me as a fuel for attention or resources or this yeah. or that. Um, I've recently been getting a lot more interested in psychology and behavior. And it's interesting because I have a bottom-up approach, meaning I start from the cells. Like I've done neuroscience stuff. So it's like I'm from the molecules, cells, receptors. Cells make up tissues like the brain. The brain coordinates for different areas, and that's how the brain thinks. Psychology is from the top down, you know, from the bot from the person, the behaviors downwards so it's like they're very similar it's just a different approach overall but yeah psychology behavior really getting more and more interested to me now that i know from the bottom up seeing how well they align you know genetics explain a lot but it's you know never exactly perfect all the time unless it's something like i think huntington's disease is the one disease where if you have that mutation you will get huntington's disease if you have the hunting gene mutation. Other than that, it's all increased risks. Um but the way I look at things too is like if you look at, I don't know, say Alzheimer's, heavy metals, high iron, high histamine, uh low vitamin D, uh low glutathione. These are all independently linked to Alzheimer's. So if I look at three different people with Alzheimer's, one of them has much more mutation in vitamin D pathway and then a little bit of glut- glutathione. The other person has a lot of histamine. And then some vitamin D. The other one has something else. I like to call them different flavors of diseases because everyone has different contributors. But like regular medicine would just say, take this one drug that works on one pathway. Let's just bombard that one pathway. But of like the 10 or 10 plus different pathways that contribute to nerve degeneration, if I could find the top three or four that are most heavily mutated for you, and we address those four. You know i'm not going on the record saying i could cure alzheimer's with my workflow but like that makes a lot more sense to me i have worked with clients with early stage alzheimer's parkinson's autism and they've gotten dramatic improvements through these modalities and that's why i'm so excited to see where the future goes because this is way more like i said initially this is way more than just the holistic space because bare minimum why wouldn't you try this approach first i would as as certain as I could be legally wording wise to say yeah. this, I really think it would work to some degree. And then you know what? If they need half of that dose of the pharmaceutical on top of that, great. But that's such a net benefit. That's a huge win. The problem is, you know, most people listening are probably thinking this. They're not going to want that to happen. There's no financial incentive to do these studies. There's no. Why would they even want people? to be shying away from that. Our whole system is built on pharmaceuticals. And like, I was a product, I was literally trained to develop a new chemotherapy or immunotherapy drug. That's what my PhD trained me to do. I was interviewing with biotech companies to go and do that. So, well, partially I was allergic to mice. I found that out at the very end. So I yeah. to mice found that out after six years and mine was all brain fog, no allergy symptoms. but you know, thank fucking God I didn't do that because couldn't be happier where I'm at now talking to you right here, right now.
0: I'm I'm telling you, your genetic approach is like, it's the future of medicine. It sucks that physicians have like seven minutes to talk to their patients then they got to boot them out. Um, Your system works because I'm assuming everyone pays you cash and and then you have enough time to talk to them.
1: Yeah. And it's that, and yeah, that's a great point you bring up too. And you know, the medical system is so horrific in so many ways. But at the same point, I'm a product of that. And also you can't hate the player, hate the game. Like the doctors, they're trained a certain way. They're trained to think a certain way. You can't expect everyone to just be, think outside the box always. People just wanna be a doctor. They wanna try and help people. I think a lot of them get into this trying to do that. They can't see them for long long enough of a period of time. You know what I mean? But also on top of that, like with my clients, we my package right now, it's an hour zoom call, and we go over it. And I mean, I I guess that's way better than seven minutes. But I also I have the quantitative back end data to guide my decisions, which they don't have. And I mean, I had a job after my PhD, I got a job as a data analyst at a clinical genomics company. So that was using personalized medicine for like cancer screening, if you're higher risk for certain types of cancers, hereditarily. Or if you already have cancer, we'll genetically sequence your tumor and figure out what drug is best for you. Or you and your wife wanna have a kid, see if there's a risk of a severe, like Down syndrome or some severe genetic defect. So I was looking at Excel sheets all day. And it's like, I thought there was gonna be a bunch of people like me. It wasn't. People that are just still unhealthy, you know, just doing their thing and going home. And I don't wanna be genetically fixing the cancer after it already happens and even a lot of those mutations like you ever heard of the BRCA mutation no. so BRCA is
0: Oh the breast the, most the breast common. cancer okay
1: yeah yeah breast cancer one yeah yeah, yeah. so um, everyone talks about BRCA1 BRCA2 mutations for breast cancer ovarian cancer which it absolutely is absolutely is a very high risk factor for that um I know Angelina Jolie she tested positive for it she got a double mastectomy before she even had cancer she's like fuck this I don't even want to risk it that is a huge risk but the way I look at this is, similar to the Alzheimer's stuff I mentioned before, what's also higher risk for breast cancer? And I actually studied breast cancer f- during my PhD. Low vitamin D, low glutathione, heavy metals, particularly aluminum, um, methylation issues. These are all things that I work with every client, even for their moderate anxiety. So like, my my stance is, yes, focus on the bracket that is important, but there's so much more than just that. If you have this low vitamin D, why don't we why don't we focus on optimizing the baseline cell stuff first? Because for BRACA, there's not avoiding toxins is the main thing you could do to support that. And that's easier, you know, yeah, sure, avoid toxins. But like what stuff can you take to give all the other pathways in your cells that need support a fighting chance to lower that risk? Vitamin D on its own, I mean vitamin D on its own may not be doing be able to fix all this stuff. But again, if you find the Achilles heel in the cells and address numerous of them together, vitamin D may help 10%. The glutathione, 15%. This 8%. You know, in totality, that's how I'm able to get these huge and honestly rapid health improvements. People under a week on these protocols, like people don't even recognize me now. My temper is completely gone. I'm so much more calm now. And it's like, crazy to me that they would have just been put on like a Xanax and then they would have been addicted to that, you know? So,
0: well, it seems like medicine's coming at symptoms and you're coming at the root cause of modern diseases. Of course, if someone cuts their foot off, they're not going to do genetic sequencing and come to you, yeah. but, um, yeah. cause nobody can nail down modern diseases. It seems like you're yeah. making.
1: Well that, and again, I think that's because, I'm supremely confident that's because going back to that flavor analogy, everyone has a unique flavor of their disease. Some people could be more have more metals, more iron, but I, I, you know, like what I keep saying there. Um, and yeah, I really think these infinitely different flavors and this is a big problem I have with clinical research too. Let's say they see if a certain supplement helps with, I don't know, Alzheimer's and they test a hundred people. And they have, they map all the hundred people and they run statistics on all of them and they say not significant, it doesn't help. But you'll probably see maybe 20 people that respond very well to that, but you take all 100 into account. So it washes out, you get what I'm saying? They pull down the significance, the statistical significance. Modern medicine says it didn't work. It didn't work for everybody, but why is that a failure? Why aren't we focusing on why it did work for those 20 people? I think it did work because the mechanism by which that supplement or drug or whatever works matches the flavor of that person's disease. So when I'm looking at studies and stuff, I don't, it says no change. I'm, I'm, I'm weak, I'm soft on math and statistics, very, very hard on intuitive concepts because the way we represent data is inherently flawed you're not controlling for all these different genetic mutations. And that's exactly why healthcare is failing so hard at these chronic diseases, because there's all these different flavors of them. They're trying to do one drug, one mechanism to address all these different subflavors of diseases. No wonder why so many things fail, yeah. especially when you have, I don't know how many hundreds of millions on the line for development for this drug. They got to make sure they make their money back and then some, you know, big pharma is very, very greedy. So why would they push that out?
0: Yeah. I mean, they can't really financially capitalize on that 20 people out of the hundred, but if exactly. one pill fixes even 10 people, they can still sell that one pill to the other people. They can't sell
1: supplements. And he, yeah. I mean, you know, they are starting to do, I think Genomine is a company that's using genetic sequencing to figure out what antidepressant drugs make the most sense for you, which I guess it's a step in the right direction but I'm already one step ahead. Like why figure out what medication you need? What nutrients do you? Yeah. need? Yeah. Um, and they're starting to do personalized stuff for uh, like I said, for the cancer stuff as well. But again, if you have these vitamin D mutations, low vitamin D, or you can actually have I mentioned the receptor mutations from the oxytocin. This is a really interesting point. receptors mutations dictate how sensitive your cells are to different molecules that's why i use blood work of course ideally pre but definitely after starting supplements we tweak things but blood just tells you how much is in your blood a not what's in your cells but also if you have a vitamin d receptor mutation your cells aren't as sensitive to vitamin d let's just say your levels were 65 which is a pretty good level your cells may only be responding as if it's 30 or 40. yeah Get what i'm saying because but everyone looks at oh the blood levels are fine well These vitamin D receptor mutations, peer-reviewed studies show that just one of these mutations can be linked to severe COVID infection. I have clients come to me with five mutations in it and they have autoimmune issues, but the doctor says, oh, if you're 30 to 100, your vitamin D is fine. They're like a 40, I bring them up to, I usually like to say 80, 90, sometimes the 80, 90 ish which is on the high end of normal, but again, they're not normal, they have these mutations. We bring them up there, and then they can get these radical improvements. But no, vitamin D's fine at 40, just take a corticosteroid the rest of your life. they almost,
0: it's they almost see report to say, your e levels are 80, but you have six m- mutations, so you're probably more similar. To, you know, like the weather's like, it's 25, but it feels like 10? The real, real the feel.
1: The real feel, wow. I like, I'm gonna but start using that one. I'll give you I credit for that one, Yeah, I'll credit you for that Be one. Like, That's a good one. Yeah, the like vitamin feel. D real feel. Yeah, 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 and that's the case for um, same thing with serotonin. You could have individual serotonin receptors that aren't mutated, that are mutated. If the serotonin one A receptor is mutated, so you could have normal serotonin levels, but the specific receptors they bind to. Vitamin D binds the one receptor. Serotonin can bind to seven major ones. If the serotonin one A receptor is mutated, and again no specific studies showing this exact thing can help. Actually, no, they have shown that lavender can help more with people with that mutation. What are other things that bind specifically that receptor? CBD, so I use CBD with clients with that mutation. The serotonin 2A receptor, psychedelics bind to that receptor. So I'm not, you know, first line of thing, hey guys, go (laughs) take some mushrooms, you know, but like I will let clients know if on your own accord, you want to pursue that, I do think you could be a very good responder to a micro dose. You know, what they do with that is up to them. You know, I'm not supplying, I'm not doing it, but you know, I'm there to give them information because some people say, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like I take mushrooms like twice a year and I really, really love how I feel on them. And then on their own accord, sure, that makes a lot of sense for you. And there's been some people that decide to go that route Um, With these mutations and within an hour of taking their first microdose, all of the horrific negative thoughts that have plagued them their entire life go away. Is that that crazy? Like but me personally, I love psychedelics, but like microdosing mushrooms make me feel allergic. So it's like, it's very interesting how, you know, everyone's different. I don't like how, I'd rather do a macrodose and go in the woods. You know, I'd rather actually trip and go in the woods. That's just me. You know, I can't yeah. do that every day, but I'd rather do that every couple of months, get in nature, do whatever. And I respond well to that, but the microdose doesn't really feel good for me. And some people try that. It doesn't feel good for them, but you get what I'm saying with these specific mutations. So if you give some, if you give that same person, either those receptive mutations, or you can have both in SSRI you'll be raising their overall serotonin. So you will be stimulating those two receptors that aren't functioning as well more, which is good. But now you're overstimulating the other five that aren't mutated. So you get more side effects, sexual dysfunction, numbness, etc. So you see how these holistic natural supplements from the earth can be used as hyper precise therapies for different mutations that underlie anxiety, or depression.
0: Well, I think psychedelics are becoming more maybe not ma- mainstream definitely. but more accepted.
1: Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think uh psilocybin, I think will be FDA approved 2024, 2025, I think. MDMA should be approved, I think, next year. Um, they're doing clinical trials for LSD for adult ADHD. So, like in a couple of years time, you'll be able to pick. You want to take Adderall or do you want a microdose LSD, which is fucking crazy to think about. But if you understand the mechanisms of ADHD and how these things work, LSD actually helps address the root causes for it versus Adderall just jacking up dopamine, which may not be your issue. Again, there's always that 5%. Like I said, 95% of people don't need them. There are other certain individuals, but like, honestly, I'm only saying that because I'm trying to be generous. Like I have yet... When someone comes to me and wants to come off these medications, I've yet to have someone come off of them and still feel on the right pro- supplement protocols, foods and stuff, and it feels so horrible, they have to go back to it. So from my experience, I want to say 100%, but at the same point, I don't know what I don't know. So I'll settle for the 99. That's still an A. Absolutely. It's
0: crazy. When I was in high school, they said if you take like LSD once, you'll get full-blown schizophrenia and you're like, you'll be in a yeah. home the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. And here's the thing too, you know, I'm very vocal, I'm an advocate for psychedelics, but psychedelics can absolutely aggravate underlying psychiatric conditions. So that's definitely factual. Um, And that's why it's also important as these get more, um, they get more accepted, you're going to be doing it with a trained professional that knows how to make sure you don't have a bad trip. You know, usually the people that are these psychotic breaks that happen under the influence of these substances, I really doubt they're happening when it's a good trip, you know, it's normally not around the right people. You're in a crowded club, worst fucking place to do that stuff. You know, like you want to be like outside, you know, daylight, whatever people you don't trust. But um, yeah, I think without a doubt, they're going to change the world. Um, I just really hope that the corporations, big pharma don't, take away from the magic and they're going to try to make it put into a pill. And honestly, you're going to have to, if you want a medication to be used for people, you can't just say have this handful of mushrooms that were grown in Mexico or wherever, you know, you're going to have to have a synthesized psilocybin precisely dose thing in a tablet. So on one side, it's great. You're getting good medicine to more people bad that it's kind of, you know, industrialized, yeah. in it, which I'm sure will have issues as well. Like I think MDMA treatment in Australia, who are the strictest on drugs ever, I kind of ironic they're approving it. They just came out and said, Hey guys, good news. We're gonna cap MDMA therapy at five thousand dollars. Whoop de fucking do. Only five thousand dollars for probably you could probably get that for twenty dollars, that amount of drugs at the rave. You know, now on, obviously you need to pay for clinicians as well. But again, how greedy are they gonna be about that? And we know how big fun yeah. it be. So Mixed feelings. Yeah. About
0: it. I mean, there's still be people who will get mushrooms to go in their buddy's backyard and eat them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, you know, but the one thing I like to tell people is if you have a minor chemical imbalance or that receptor is mutated, doing that could help a lot. Doing that once a month, with your body's doing a microdose. But if you had a really bad traumatic upbringing, a lot of unredressed trauma, you do need that higher dose. You need that truly altered state of consciousness to pull out these memories and reconfront them. Now, that also I think requires, that's why like you know, the ayahuasca stuff in South America and stuff, they have the shamans because they know how to guide people under these states. That's why they have people in psychotherapy now. They'll put on the, the, the blindfold and like music in the background. They'll have someone, a clinician with a clipboard and like talking to them throughout this help them guide their mind. Because if you're that traumatized, it's going to be very hard for you to be able to navigate that while you're tripping and fix yourself. So that's where it's like, we do need the, cl- the clinic. Oh yeah. That. But the deeper the trauma, I think the higher the dose needs to be to address that. But the higher the dose, the higher the risk, the higher the necessity for an actual professional to help you through that. I think
0: you know, needs- if you trip that hard or have like a heroic dose, as they call it, you yeah. need somebody saying that you're not going to die. We're going to get yeah. through this. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. we're coming up in the hour, Mark. I always ask a couple of questions at the end. First question: Can I have you back on? Thanks. Man. Absolutely. Um, second question: Where can people find you, and how can they work with you?
1: So at Dr. Tyler Panzner, P-A-N-Z-N-E-R, uh, no dot after the doctor um, on Instagram. I'm Dr. Tyler Panzner on Facebook. Uh, same tag as Instagram on TikTok. I just made a YouTube, um, kind of planting seeds for that now, same tag, at Dr. Tyler Pansner. LinkedIn, just my name, Tyler Pansner, and my website, www.drtylerpansner.com. And to work with me, you could check out my website. It has inf- more information about kind of my approach, my backstory. Um, right now, I'm only currently doing one-on-ones, but I plan on having more offerings within the next month or so. Um, you check out my page there, the work with me tab. And if you have any more questions about my process, you can book a free discovery call 15 minutes, get a sense for where you're at, get some information about you. See if we're a good fit. I really try to make sure I can add enough value to each person that I work with. Um, but I like to tell people too, any cellular issue. I think I could help with to at least some degree. And what I mean by that is like, I had someone recently that. Has Tourette's, and have I ever worked with someone with Tourette's? No, I told them I like to t- I like to say you never know what you are going to find until you look under the hood of the car, meaning I am still I've been doing this full time. I've been doing this full time for what like not even three months, but doing it as a business for like nine months, ten months now. So like I am still in the learning process. Meaning, and again, it's all natural supplements, so the risk not that risky per se. It's just working with someone with Tourette's. I told them, listen, I never had a Tourette's client, but I read papers. I understand the genetic components of Tourette's. I understand the molecular biology of, at the cellular level, what causes Tourette's. And then knowing how these supplements work with your genes, how can we help remedy that? I was able to help that individual. So I always tell people too, um, even if you don't see on the list of things I help with, um, I'm always, I'll be upfront and honest if I think I could help or not. And if people wanna take that plunge with me, and most people, like I said, that come to work with me, they're pretty desperate at that point, they want to try that. And I always do my best. And if it's something I haven't done explicitly, I will try to go above and beyond and search for these mutations, because not only am I helping that individual changing their lives, I'm building up, I guess, my portfolio and all the things that I can help with. Because if I really want to change the world with this, I got to see how many things could help with. And like I said, I'm really confident, I don't think there's much limits on it. I really think any cellular issue, whether a minor health, nagging health issue, or a clinical full-blown disease state, I think this can help with. Now, to what degree, depending on how advanced you are with that disease, that we don't know quite yet.
0: I'm going to make a prediction. You're going to blow up this year. I know followers don't mean everything. I think you have like ten or 12,000 on Instagram. You're going to have like 500,000 by the end of the year. You are doing such good work.
1: I really oh yeah, for nightmare.
0: sure. I heard this definition of a hero. Then I'll let you go at my kid's school last month. A hero is somebody that shows other people what's possible, and you're truly a hero in this health space right now. I really appreciate all the hard work you're doing.
1: I just got goosebumps, and you know what's ironic is that do you get oh yeah all the time. Yeah. That's really the fuck out of here. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. So I think that's uh, we probably both have that same gene. So I just got goosebumps. I, that is, I think one of the nicest things someone said to me. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to trying to be the hero for more and more people and yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and everyone listening. I like to tell everyone too, If maybe you're not happy with where your health is at, maybe you're happy with where your health is at, everyone knows somebody that's not happy with where their health is at. So if you guys know someone that has been through the ringer through all these different things, or even if they haven't been through the ringer and they're trying to go the more holistic route to start, um, I can tell you guys my approach is like nothing else out there. Um, Not guaranteeing it fixes everything for everyone always, but... I've yet to have a client that does not feel noticeably better. Um, And you will have a framework and blueprint of what agrees with your body and what doesn't. So that next doc you may go to for that next thing that's maybe out of my wheelhouse, you'll at least have a fighting chance. So thank you so much for having me on. I hope everyone- Thank you. Talk to you
0: soon. Bye.
1: Take care, my man.